The Gestalt Gardener podcast is brought to you by Variscosity Vein Center, providing health assessment screenings and compassionate care to improve your vascular functionality and quality of life. Our doctors and vein specialists offer solutions to painful varicose veins, spider veins, and other venous diseases to our patients. Now offering complimentary vein screenings in Jackson, Madison, and Ridgeland. Information and appointment scheduling at varicosityveincenter.com. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill. I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon. Thank you for joining us on your spring break. Is it your spring break? You know, Liz, we're not having a spring break this year because uh, we're trying to get everybody out of uh, Oxford uh, quickly so that when they can come back in the fall, we'll be fully open and in person, which would be great. So we're, we're going straight through. Um, and I have an 8 o'clock class, which means it was really 7 o'clock yesterday, and I think my students and I were both feeling it. But we're, we're glad to be here and really happy to have uh, Oxford Attorney Gray Edmondson on the show this week. And, you know, our, our topic is tax considerations while working from home. But Gray is actually doing this, uh, and we're grateful to him, while he is in uh, Colorado on vacation. So really, it ought to be tax considerations while working from anywhere that we talk about today. And Gray, it's great to welcome you. Could you tell us a little bit about your background and, and how did you get interested in tax law? Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess, uh, you know, my interest in tax law started in law school. I think I would never have uh, expected that would be the course I took. But you get in law school, you start taking courses and realize where you uh, naturally fall and that's what that's what worked for me went from there to new york university to finish my tax program and have been been doing tax work since and it's it's been great uh, our practice is in oxford we do you know pretty much everything in the tax world estate uh, tax income tax trust and state work business transactions um you know the 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 gamut for for most of the routine estate and and, and tax work that you need well, and also you, you are, we appreciate you being an adjunct professor at the law school and teaching partnership tax, which is cons widely considered to be the hardest tax course that we offer. So we're, we're grateful for that. And, you know, a lot of people are working at home uh, during the pandemic, and that's really, you know, we're going to be talking about that today. But has your office been open? And have you and your firm been able to? Yes, our office, we, you know, as, as what, what was defined as an essential business during the, the early stages of the pandemic, we were allowed to stay open, but we chose for you know, the safety of our, ourselves and our staff and clients to be closed during that early stage. But as things started to open up, we went through an initial sort of staggered approach to having not full uh, office personnel in the office at any given time. And that worked really well and eventually worked into full-time uh, everyone in the office probably in May or June of the summer and have, have done that since. We're largely able to work 
without being in close contact with each other. And if we use care elsewhere, it works. Clients appreciate having us available. Uh, the, the big change for us primarily, other than ourselves, since we've been back in the office, has been handling client meetings and conferences and those types of events via teleconference, Zoom, other remote conferencing capabilities. And so a big part of my day has shifted from sitting in the conference room to sitting behind a computer uh, looking at a, at a uh, video conference. This morning, we're going to talk about the federal tax law. You can send us an email to our address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. I was a little uh, nervous, Nellie, this year with all that the IRS has to do with the stimulus and tax returns. We already filed ours, already got our refund, but we hope listeners will call in if they haven't already started their tax return for 2020 or if they want to get a jump on their 2021 returns. Exactly, Liz. And one thing, you know, that that Gray will be talking about today, too, is not just their federal return, but also their state returns, because as people work in lots of different places now, that gets complicated. And so, Gray, I mean, do you think some of these changes that took place uh, in the practice of law, this, you know, for not so much for you, uh, y'all were able to meet in person, but I know a lot of lawyers have, uh, have been dealing more remotely with their clients and courts have done so as well. Do you think some of these changes will become more permanent? Uh, that we'll see a lot more so. remote. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I think some will. I, I don't know that a lot of the practice of law will move to, to really remote uh, practice of law full-time. Clients still want to meet face-to-face. Courts still want to see the demeanor of witnesses. People still want to sit across the table from a deponent and feel their body language and the like. So I don't know that the law practice will move to fully remote, but the ability to do uh, – a lot of our work remotely will certainly open up a lot of a lot of the practice of law to not needing to travel as much and, and things like that. So I think it'll it'll change the practice of law probably going into the future for as, as long as I'll be practicing law, I can, I can imagine. Well, you and I both spoke at a, a conference back in November, the Mid-South um, Estate Planning Conference in Memphis. Normally, we would have, you know, you did that for several years, and I did it several years, and we would drive uh, to Memphis, and, you know, the, and people would come from other places as well to present and to, to watch the proceedings. But this year it was remote. This past year it was remote. And, um, you know, I was talking to the people who run our CLE programs, and they, they said, you know, that was a better way to do it. They didn't have to rent space. They didn't have to provide refreshments. And my impression, and I'll ask you, I mean, my impression was it went pretty well. It really did. I, I was impressed by the event. I think attendance was up because people didn't have to travel to attend the event. And the cost of the event, as you pointed out, were down because of the uh, avoidance of, of needing to rent space and the like. I attended a conference last week that was uh, scheduled to be an in-person conference from people around the country, and uh, it, it was held via Zoom. And everyone was really excited. The only thing we really felt that we missed was just in person, seeing the people you know face-to-face and, and shaking their hand and talking to them in, in breaks and those kind of things. But the content was great. We have a call that we're going to get to because that's what we're doing for this show. We're giving you the opportunity to speak with a tax attorney to find out what the tax law is. So let's go to Wesley in Brookhaven. Wesley, thank you so much for calling in to In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question? I'm wondering what is going on with the Mississippi state income tax that requires you to put a copy of your 
1040 with it send it in. Yeah, well, Mississippi follows the federal tax treatment as, as a default term of, of Mississippi law. So where Mississippi law isn't different than the federal system, then it is the same as the federal tax laws. So Mississippi return, like a lot of states, is really a feeder return from what flows through your federal income tax return. So they need to see that in order to be able to properly uh, review and, and examine that return. Well, this is the first year that I've ever heard of them needing a copy of the 1040 from the federal yeah i, I don't know i've seen a cop I've, I've seen a copy have to be submitted they cert it certainly feeds from the 1040 onto your state return in terms of the data they they have uh, tried to roll out some new compliance programs because they've they've had a lack of compliance i'm not really sure what what's going on with this particular decision but um, you know i guess if, if they're requiring it it's something we're going to have to do Hey, Gray, I, I file electronically, and I think most taxpayers now are filing electronically. I guess that just happens automatically. That's right. Well, and, and of course, 1040 for most individuals is required to be e-filed now. A few years ago, the IRS went to mandatory e-filing. Well, I, uh, I'm i not going to—Mississippi requires you to pay if you e-file, so I'm not having any of that. I, I, I e-file <laughs> my federal, then just print off my Mississippi, then stick a forever stamp on it. We've got another right. call. We're going to go to Sue in Beaumont. Wesley, thank you for calling in. Sue from Beaumont, what's your comment or question about the tax law with our guest, Gray Edmondson? Well, hi, Mr. Edmondson. I'd like to ask a question. I've called several tax repair companies, and I keep asking, Is this, are these stimulus checks considered taxable income? And I can't get the same answer from anybody. So do you have to claim that on your income tax or whatever? How are they considered well, taxable it, it, income? I think the, the answer is no. They're not going to be taxable income. That's been the decision that's made. Where you've probably gotten a, lot, gotten a lot of variable answers is early on in the process, there was a lot of question about this, the tax consequences of some of the different programs the IRS was, was rolling out of the SBA and other, other programs, especially for businesses and what were the tax consequences there. And the, the tax professional community, as well as the uh, other folks that were involved in administering these programs, couldn't answer those questions. And so we've, we've finally gotten some answers and, and feel comfortable that that's, that's not taxable. Oh, great. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Sue. And, you know, Gray, I think one part of that confusion was the extension of unemployment benefits, for example. Right. And, and, and unemployment benefits are typically taxable, and then the stimulus checks were separate from that. And I think that, you know, they're just different checks coming in, and people, I think, are confused. And so— um, that's, right, well, that's right. We had a, a big deal about the deduction of PPP expenses that, that came up with. There's just been a lot of things that, that have caused frustration. <laughs> This is our the last pandemic in all of our lifetimes, I hope. And so this Fingers is the last time we'll have to deal with any of this stuff. You can send us an email to our address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're discussing federal tax law with our guest, tax attorney Gray Edmondson. Now, you can't trust everything on social media, but if it's directly from the IRS, you can. We're going to share some tweets of theirs this show. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is In Legal Terms. Not everyone has a chance to listen to our whole show live, so if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill. I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law at... IRS News has a pinned tweet to their account. IRS is delivering a third round of economic impact statements. Most qualified Americans will receive a payment without taking any action. They also tweeted, eligible people missing the first or second economic impact payment can claim it when they file their 2020 taxes. And in fact, we did this in our family. My 25-year-old was a dependent in 2019, but became independent in 2020, so she didn't get the stimulus in August and December when everybody else did, but when we filed her 2020, we filed their 2020 taxes, they were uh, not a dependent, and at the bottom of the form, it let us... Uh, it it, it gave the uh, availability of the economic impact payment. So that's my personal, not the tax lawyer's information. That's my situation. But one last... Go ahead, Richard. I was going to say that came out as a tax credit. And so if you haven't... Yeah, that's really really important to take that tax credit if you didn't get the stimulus check last year and you were in that situation. We have a lot of graduating college students who are in that position. So Exactly. No, no, that's that was what uh, their situation was. One more tweet, and then, Gray, I'll let you comment. Uh, If you don't get your W-2 form, do your taxes on time anyway using IRS Form 4852. This morning, we are talking about taxes with uh, tax attorney Gray Edmondson. Gray, what did you want to say? I was just going to hop in real quick and, and, and jump on Richard's comment about a credit, and that's important for people to understand because of the, uh, the difference in a credit and a deduction for these purposes. A deduction, you have to have income to offset a credit. A credit can be what's called a refundable credit, which means even if you don't have income, if you file your return, the IRS will write you a check for that credit. So a lot of these benefits programs that are out there, uh, some stimulus uh, money is is in the form of a refundable credit. So some people will need to be sure they they understand that difference. Fantastic. And we've got some phone calls to get to. Let's hear what Jim from Jackson has to say. Jim, what's your question about the tax law for our guest attorney, Gray Edmondson? Good morning. I think without a doubt that we're going to see some increase in taxes to pay for all this uh, stimulus program funding. How likely is it that any increase in taxes would be retroactive back to the 1st of January 2020, or is it more likely to be effective with the next tax 
Well, there's been a real big question that's been that's raised for years. Anytime, especially we have changes in, in presidential administrations, where what can you do retroactively? And the law seems pretty clear that you can have retroactive tax changes. Uh, it's allowed. The talk is that from the Biden administration is best word on the street here we hear is that they are not intending to make retroactive tax changes but that they will probably make any changes they they make i say any a, a number of the changes they make will be effective the date of enactment of whatever bill so if they get a bill through in the summer it may be effective that date uh some other things may be effective january 1st of next year so i think we all probably owe it to ourselves to keep an eye on, on what's happening and what effective date's going to be because as we see things pushing through if we need to make a change in our personal planning before an effective date kicks in, that's your that's your window of opportunity. Most capital assets as, uh, before that effective date. If if the if the change that would be effective on that that date is an increase in capital gains rates for for you, which the talk is that it is an increase in capital gains rates, but the current discussion is around individuals with incomes over a million dollars, where that gets. Uh, eliminated in terms of the current capital gains rate preference. So there's, there's going to be a limited number of taxpayers that, that really need to, to watch that. But everyone needs to be, be paying attention because we just don't know. And, and we can speculate. But once Congress does their thing, what comes out the backside of that process is not always what we predicted going in. Well, if it's a million dollars, I'm very safe. <laughs> well, me too. <laughs> Thank Thank you, Jim. We appreciate you calling in. Let's go next to Sherry in Batesville. Sherry, thank you for calling in to In Legal Terms today with our guest tax attorney, Gray Edmondson. What's your question about tax law? I have already filed my 2020 return in February, and due to a disability back pay settlement in that year, I was required to pay back over $6,000 in health care tax credits. Now, I understand that part of the new stimulus package is a forgiveness of those tax credits that were owed for 2020. Do I need to amend my return? Will the IRS look at my return and send me my money back? What do I need to do? I think from my perspective, I would I would certainly talk to your tax professional who, who filed that return. Anytime you have, and, and it happens, especially with early filers, you, you, which I would call February an early filer, you file your return and, and something, you, you get a new piece of information, a new 1099, or you, you end up, like you said, having to pay something back that you may have claimed as income uh, that you need to then go and amend and, and, and reduce your income, take a credit or a deduction against income you find out about later. So it, it's probably likely you're going to, to need to amend the return, but you know everybody's individual return is so different. You, you probably need to talk to who prepared that return and, and get their input. Okay, so you, they won't actually look at my return and say, oh, this is the forgiveness and just send me a check. Well, no, they, they probably will not do that. All right, that's what I was hoping for. All right, that's answered my question. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, I can't say for sure. I, you know, I don't know exactly what program um, would, would offer you a refundable credit automatically there, so it's possible, but you'd want to have that looked at. Well, in the package, I read well, I read some of the package uh, things that were included in the package, and one of those was a forgiveness of health care tax credits for 2020. So that gave me a little. In fact, my CPA is the one that called me and made me aware of that. So 
I was just wanting mm -hmm. to see if, you know, if we probably need, needed to file an amended return. And that's what, a 1040X? That's right. Okay, okay. Thanks for your help. Absolutely. Thank you, Sherry. We appreciate you calling in. I'll also be checking our emails, which we may get to on the show, or we may forward them to our guest, tax attorney Gray Edmondson, and he can answer them after the show for us. Gray, one of the things, you know, the question about changes to the tax law, that's nothing new. I, I remember uh, when the tax code was changed in 1986, and I remember uh, President Reagan saying, this is this will do it. We won't have to make changes from this point forward. And of course, they made changes the next year and the year after that, and we've been having changes ever since then. So the tax law is kind of always uh, changing as Congress uh, sees different programs, different things that they want to support. Uh, depends on who's on, in office, as you mentioned. It keeps it keeps things interesting for you and me, certainly, right. you know, as tax people. But um, so, you know, that's not unusual. And I do think it's important for people to keep an eye on the things that will affect them. Uh, and so uh, that's why I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to, to talk about this today. Uh, so let, let's talk a little bit about you know, working from home. You know, uh, people in the pandemic have had had to work from home in some cases if they've been fortunate enough to have jobs that they could do from home. I always always worry about people who, who don't. Uh, but um, so what are some of the tax considerations you've seen for that were unique to people working from home during this time? Right, there are any number of, of questions that come up, and, and it's important to note that, you know, we're talking about this as working from home, which is what has happened with a lot of folks, but some people have worked remotely otherwise and have gone to, to move in with a child to take care of a grandchild and, and work remotely from there, have gone to a family cabin somewhere and worked from, from that location. And so, you know, a lot of the things we'll discuss are working from home related specifically, but, but some others are just remote working issues in general. And so what I see that's come up early, especially in the pandemic, but it's gonna play itself out in 2020 return filings, is what can I do about the costs associated with working from home? Have I had to buy new computer network equipment that's that's fast enough to have remote remote video conferencing? Have I had to chosen to buy a new printer or scanner, a new desk for home, things like that? Um, those are those are a lot of questions that have that have come up because you think generally most people have an idea if I'm spending money for work, that should be deductible. That should offset my income. And we used to have a deduction with some benchmarks in there that you didn't get the full benefit, but you got some benefit of uh, unreimbursed business expenses for employees. That, as part of a, a tax act, talking about changes all the time, and it passed in 2018, was, was eliminated. So we no longer have that, what's called a miscellaneous itemized deduction available. And so those type of expenses, if you are an employee who works for an employer and gets a W-2, are no longer deductible. And that's going to affect folks. So that's, yeah, it does make a difference then, whether you are an employee or an independent contractor uh, you know, or self-employed. How how do you determine whether somebody is an employee or self-employed? Uh, you know, some people work. That's, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. That's and that's a big question, and and it comes up very often. And and the reason that makes a difference to that point is employees don't get that deduction. But if you're an independent contractor, you're viewed as being business for yourself, not for someone else. And so that now becomes a deduction of your operating business, even if it doesn't file its own return. Right. If it if it files on your 1040. And so the the way you sort of tell and and the and the reason I use the term work for yourself instead of someone else is there are a number of very detailed tests 
that you go through to, to sort of analyze. There's not a bright line rule. But the crux of that comes back to, are you in business for yourself versus someone else? Do you have your own business cards? Do you have a business phone number? Do you have a business web address? When you're working for one uh, individual or business can you work for others at the same time doing the same work or is that where you clock in from eight to five and they expect you to dedicate your full-time working efforts to them do they provide the the tools you need to work or do you go buy those for yourself because you're in business for yourself and so as you work down does it look more like i'm running my own business where i go out and solicit work and handle it and bill it and collect it and do those things versus um, am I working for someone else? And the tax form you get is a W-2 when you're an employee and a 1099 when you're an independent contractor. So part of the way you can tell is, is what reporting form you get. Now, you can work with whoever you're performing services for to convert that status and say, I, I, I'd really like to start working for myself as a contractor and billing you that way. You, you will have to change your working ar arrangements. So you'll have to start covering some of your own expenses, some of your own employment taxes and doing some things like that. But if the facts hold up to that, that arrangement, then there may be reasons to go one way versus the other. It's interesting because there was a big, obviously, controversy in California about Uber drivers, for example. Are they independent contractors? Are they employees? And some of them wanted to be employees, and some of them wanted to be independent contractors. And I don't know that that ever will be completely resolved. So, you know, it's not always <laughs> that, that easy. That's right. And there are a lot of people who believe uh, incorrectly, and I see this more with on the employer side, that you just ask someone when they come to work for you which they would rather be, and you just report that way really the facts of what is going on is what drives that uh, determination not what someone may prefer and so you can certainly change the the arrangement to to meet what you may prefer but you can't just decide which you would rather which treatment you'd rather have email us your questions the address is legal terms at mpbonline.org we're talking with tax attorney gray edmondson about our 2020 tax situation if you want some nuggets of tax tips each day consider following at irs news on twitter we're going to share some of that information with you next you're listening to in legal terms on mpb think radio Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. 
Hey there, it's David Green. You know, there comes a time when you've just got to let go of that old vehicle. Maybe it has lots of great memories, but it's also maybe just taking up space. And selling it can be such a hassle. So here's one thought. Let this station take that vehicle off your hands. Proceeds from the sale benefit this station, and you could get a tax break. Thanks. Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We do hope you'll subscribe to our podcast, lots of different podcasting platforms. My husband likes Stitcher. I like Podcast Addict. We're not Apple people, but Apple devices come with their own podcasting platform. You just download one to your phone. You can touch a plus that takes you to a page to search for podcasts. I typed in in legal terms in the search area. It brought up our in legal terms. We're the only one that's called that. And I'm able to touch the photo of it and subscribe. And that way I'm notified when any new episodes are loaded up. This morning, we are talking about the federal tax law, specifically concerning uh, working from home individuals with our guest, Attorney Gray Edmondson from Edmondson Sage Allen at IRS News has some great tweets to give you information or to remind you of current tax laws, such as taxpayers of all ages may be able to claim a deduction on their 2020 tax return for contributions to their IRAs made through April 15th of 2021. Teachers, some out-of-pocket expenses to protect your classroom from COVID-19 may qualify for the educator expense deduction. And another tweet is staying safe at home filing this season. IRS reminds you that there are still ways to do your taxes for free online or with help from volunteers. We've got some calls to go to this morning. Let's start with Bill in Gulfport. Bill, thank you so much for calling in to In Legal Terms today to speak with our tax expert, Gray Edmondson. What's your comment or question about tax law? Well, first, thank you for making me smarter than I am. I have been retired, living in Mississippi for the past 10 years with no W-2 income. All at once this year when I file my 2020 tax return, they want me to pay the state an additional $1,500 that I owe. For 10 years, I've no, owed no tax, and there's nothing changed. The only income I have is retirement income and interest income. So is a law change in Mississippi somewhat that makes something taxable that I didn't know about? What you're describing, I, I, don't, I don't know about any law change that you've mentioned. I, the one thing that does stand out is retirement income in Mississippi is exempt from state income tax, but your interest income may not be. And so it sounds like what they may have received is a 1099 or some other informational return that they've now matched up uh, and, and said you should have been paying this, you know, previously and, and you weren't and so we're trying to we're trying to collect i mean I, you know richard i don't know if you have any other thoughts but that's what what strikes me as a possibility but these are so uh, individual circumstances on what, what reporting you're getting but that's what stands out as a possibility yeah, I think that's right, Greg. I think a lot, you know, a lot of times we forget that you know the Department of Revenue here and uh, and the Internal Revenue Service are just people, 
and there are a lot more taxpayers than there are people working for those departments. And a lot of times, I think they don't, you know, know about a situation until uh, years afterwards, and that may be what happened. They finally found out maybe you should have been paying interest or tax on the interest, as best I can guess. Yeah, and you, you hear a lot of times people say things like, "Well." I've been doing it this way for years and it's never been a problem. Why is it suddenly a problem this year? And that's to Richard's point. It's not that it wasn't, it's that they just didn't notice it. They, their systems didn't catch it until now. So um, go back lots of times that and pick up something that they had overlooked before. And they, they can, as long as the statute of limitations is, is open. What is the statute of limitations for taxes? There's a general three-year statute of limitations, uh, but that statute of limitation starts from the filing of your return. So if you, for example, don't file a return, then it never starts. Uh, it can be a longer statute if you have what's called a substantial understatement of your income or a substantial omission of an item, and those are defined in the tax code of what those mean. But if you know, really, it's, it's three years if you file a return and, and forever if you don't, effectively. Well, Bill, we'll have information. If you have access to a website or a smartphone with this show, we will put some information about uh, maybe volunteer tax assistance. I think AARP usually helps out some people each time. So if you do need someone to assist you, we'll, uh, they're a great group to contact, and we'll also try to have some links on our show. Thank you so much, Bill for calling in. We're now going to go to John in Grenada. John, thank you for calling in to In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question about tax law? Uh, good morning. I, I, I don't really have a tax question exactly. Uh, it's related to the uh, second stimulus check last, uh, last uh, year. I never got it. I got the first one this time last year. I never got the second one, and now they're working on the third one. And uh, and you cannot call the IRS. I, I envision a little old lady sitting in the basement somewhere, and, and she answers five calls a year a day, and there's like a million calls coming in. So you can't talk to anybody. So I was just curious. Do I do I um, just wait and hope for the best, or is there somebody or something I can do? Uh, yeah, I can't pretend to know the answer on that exactly because there have been a lot of people, especially with these third round of stimulus checks that are supposed to be coming out, that a lot of folks have had a hard time with it. That's a common thing, and and I'm not sure what goes on behind the curtain necessarily, but it's it's been something that it's a known issue, and and they're, I know they're working to address it because a number of people have had that issue. That said, as as you follow the news and follow your friends and family and those kind of things, is is the the others out there that might not have already gotten their third check if they all start to and you don't then at some point yes you need you ought to look into it you don't want to leave that that uh those available funds you know sitting out there well how do i do that who do i how do you contact somebody that won't answer the phone <laughs> well sometimes you have to keep calling and calling and and you know and, and just deal with it and, and it's unfortunate but most of these stimulus programs have uh, hotlines and numbers. If you Google around, you can find local offices where they have uh, someone to contact local offices. They have phone numbers you can call to, to deal with your questions. And to your point, so many people are calling right now because so many people are missing that check that you uh, understandably you are having a hard time getting in. 
John, we will have information on this show, the IRS's webpage for uh, Get My Stimulus. I'm not quite sure what it is. We'll mention it later on in the show. But as I told my anecdotal story when I filed, when my child filed their tax return, they hadn't gotten the stimulus check and they got it as a credit on filing an income tax return. Uh, maybe that will help you. Uh, Gray, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say that, that um, you know, the, the, the overwhelming the system right now is probably a product of so many people not getting that third check timely, and so they're all, all overwhelming the system. So as they start to get those checks and those calls drop off, you know, those stragglers who haven't are probably going to have a lot better time getting through, I assume. Again, I don't know what happens behind the curtain, but that that seems to me a fair assumption. And, John, the web address for the IRS is irs.gov, and it's called Get My Payment. And if you go through that rabbit hole, that might help you find out if you were entitled to it, if uh, because they did change some of the requirements, that might help you. Or if you do file an informational return or something, then you might be able to get a a credit that way as as we've mentioned and good luck to you john we hope that uh, you are able to get what is due you we're going to go to Stephen in hattiesburg now Stephen, thank you so much for calling into in legal terms what is your comment or question for our guest tax attorney gray edmondson about the tax law thanks i have a more general tax question we have a family business. We've had it for about 10 years, and it involves providing wardrobe for movies and TV productions, mostly out of Atlanta, but we're in Mississippi. Um, and most of, the, most of the income is through rentals to, uh, to movies and TV productions, but, and occasionally sales. Uh, but we've been approached by a possible buyer who wants to maybe buy out the entire inventory of wardrobe for several hundred thousand dollars and um, normal sales in a normal year would be treated as income and it's a family business that's not been incorporated um, and I'm thinking that if we were to sell out the entire inventory there could be a significant tax impact if it's treated as normal income like sales would be regularly but it would be much uh, better if it could be treated as uh, as capital gain so I'm wondering if there's if it can be treated as capital gain when you sell the entire inventory and and if there's anything special we need to do in order for that to happen i'd say possibly you know is the answer <laughs> you know and, and the reason i say possibly is if you're selling uh, inventory essentially equipment you know these these costumes that you've probably taken deductions for that part that amount of any sale will be probably subject to ordinary income tax what's called depreciation recapture uh, if you depreciate it or wrote it off under section 179 or, or, or bonus depreciation that allows you to do that um, that said if you're selling a going concern and operating business and you're selling the name of the business and and the uh, the goodwill and reputation of the business behind those hard assets, part of the purchase price is going to be for that intangible value that attaches to just the good name and trade name and, and value of the business that's tied up in that. And that portion of the sale 
will be taxed at capital gains rates generally. So you you really have to work through the process of determining how much of your per purchase price is properly allocable to one type of asset you're selling versus another. And, and really that kind of takes a tax professional to help you walk through that, that analysis. But, um, but that can help tax a good portion of the sale as, as capital gains versus ordinary income. Okay, thank you for that. So be sure we sell the, the name and the goodwill along with the inventory. And, 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 and allocate as much of the, the purchase price that, that, is, that is reasonable to that asset versus the inventory. Okay, thank you for that. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's interesting, Gray. I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about working from home, but people are still, you know, doing, conducting business. And, and as Stephen pointed out, you know, that they're, you know, yeah, the business, the film industry, I'm surprised that actually there will be Academy Awards this year. So you got to give people credit. We've been creative during this time of COVID, uh, and uh, a lot has happened. But, uh, you, know, um, one, you know, one thing we'll, we'll talk about maybe in the next segment is what about people who are working from home, but their their businesses in another state, and uh, and I think maybe that, uh, that's, that's been a big issue through this pandemic is people working in, in, in states different than where they normally go to work before, and and that could be because they own a business and, and you know we live in Richard we live in North Mississippi people own and work for businesses in Tennessee and and commute uh, from Mississippi every day and they may have started working from a home office in Mississippi this year, or they may have moved in with a child to help take care of grandkids, or they may, like I said, may have moved to a family cabin and be working. And that raises a lot of state income tax issues. Well, we have a couple more calls, but we are running out of time, folks. We'll also take your questions to our email address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. You never know what information you might need in the future. I love having little tips that I can just refer back to. I've got a source of reputable tax tips I'll share with you next. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show. Inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows, or find it as a podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. I'm Liz Gill, here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. At 11 a.m. Central on Tuesdays following our show, you can hear Southern Remedy, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. Mississippians are very generous and caring. 
at IRS News tweeted, forming a group that qualifies as a Section 501c4 social welfare organization, you must submit IRS Form 8976, Notice of Intent to Operate Under Section 501c4, no later than 60 days after formation. Another tweet, want your refund faster? Combining IRS e-file with direct deposit is the fastest way to get your tax refund. They also have another tweet where a cute puppy ate the tax return to illustrate why it's beneficial to e-file. I think puppy tweets get the biggest clicks. And also, if you're looking for a job, a number of tweets say, did you know IRS is hiring? Follow at Recruitment IRS to see what career opportunities await you. And they also have a website, jobs.irs.gov. We are talking with a tax attorney, Gray Edmondson, from Edmondson Sage Allen uh, in Oxford. We have a couple of calls. We also had a phone number, or we had a caller who couldn't stay on. I had mentioned the August and the December payments. Um, That was the $1,200 payment from August and the $600 stimulus check that some people got in December or January. That made up to $1,800 that when my child filed their return, that was the credit on their 2020 tax return that they received because they did not get it in the mail or through direct deposit during the 2020 year. We do have a couple of calls. We're going to go to Sandra in Water Valley. Sandra, thank you so much for calling into In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question about the tax law? Good morning. Yes. Uh, Do you have to file on your Social Security benefits. This is my first year, and I received a form SSA 1099, and I called the Social Security office, and they weren't able to answer that question. You you do owe federal income tax on your Social Security income, and so you know depending on what your level of income is, you may you may have a filing obligation. But you you have to look at those fi- those those thresholds to determine whether you truly have a filing obligation. Do you know what that so, that money amount is? What is the minimum? Not off the top of my head. It changes from year to year. There's an inflation-adjusted number. Um, and, and, of course, it's going to depend not only on your Social Security income, but any other sources of income you may have. If you have some pension income or some interest income or dividends from anything you may own, or, or even if you have money in an interest-bearing checking account, you know, what, what, what that generates. So you know, there, there's, there's other income and deductions and credits you probably have out there. Okay. The other question is about unemployment benefits. Are those taxable? Generally, yes. Okay, so the unemployment stimulus, we would need to file that? Yes, and and some of the stimulus checks are... um, I say some of the stimulus checks you can get are going to be not taxable income, but traditionally, depending on what type of unemployment income you've, you've received, is taxable. And so you do need to be sure and file them. You know, it sounds like probably if you've had Social Security income, unemployment income, you may have some refundable credits you apply, you know, you would, you would qualify for that, that would really mitigate in favor of filing return anyway. 
it, it probably makes sense to, to look at getting that done. And it may be after you run it up the flagpole and, and do the you know, uh, software, whoever you would take it to, it's not necessary. But I, I would certainly take your individual numbers and run it through that process. Okay, and are we still under the $12,000 standard deduction? That standard deduction has doubled uh, as part of the 2018 tax act. So it's you know twenty four thousand dollars and some change generally for for married couples and twelve thousand dollars or twelve thousand you know per individual. Well, that doubled to twenty four. So I think you know you probably that's why I say if you may have deductions that are going to be substantial enough through the doubling of the standard deduction that's just going to mean you don't don't owe tax. But you need to look at those those numbers and find out. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Sandra. We appreciate it. Ella from Memphis, I'm sorry we can't get to you. Our show is just about over, but we would love for you to send us an email. Our email address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Gray, you have 30 seconds. (laughs) What little tidbit can you leave us with? Well, I think really the, the tidbit and a couple of people have asked questions that have sort of resulted in this answer is there's so much going on from this past year that may have to do with refundable credits, may have to do with taxable versus non-taxable stimulus versus unemployment benefits. You may have worked in multiple states um, or you may have stayed and worked in your home state when you normally commute. So there's so much going on. I think the, the idea this year is a lot more people need to go see their tax professional. Thank you. That's it. Gray Edmondson from uh, Gray, I'm sorry, from Edmondson Sage Allen in Oxford. Thank you for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts usually from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Thanks to Jay White and Michelle McAdoo for being our show engineers today. We hope that you will join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms on mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.